Welcome to the Augustine Podcast, a conversation about the life, work, and thought of St. Augustine of Hippo. I'm your host, Joshua Blanchard. My guest today is Dr. Terrence Sweeney. Dr. Sweeney is an assistant teaching professor in the Honors Program and Humanity Department at Villanova University. He got his PhD from Villanova University, has an MA in Philosophy from Loyola Marymount University, an MA in Catholic Studies from the University of St. Thomas, and a Bachelor's in History from Providence College in Rhode Island. Today we're talking about Dr. Sweeney's essays, in particular two essays, one called God and the Soul, and the other called Politics of Pairs. Dr. Sweeney has interest in all sorts of Augustinian ethics and political thought, as well as medieval political thought and ethics more broadly. Dr. Sweeney, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down and chat. Let's start just with getting to know you a little bit. Just tell me about yourself and your career. How do you define your work? That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I sometimes worry that I'm uh, a bundle of, of minor interests looking for a major interest. Uh, so, but I, you know, I started out as an undergrad uh, in, in history and kind of after college, you know, started looking for something more than that uh, in, in philosophical inquiry. Um, and I landed at Loyola Marymount University uh, and there I, I discovered Neoplatonism. Um, uh, I, it, I wouldn't say it was quite as dramatic as Augustine uh, discovering the books of the Platonists, but it's not too different. It was Plotinus. Uh, and yet finding in Plotinus what Augustine found, which is this kind of brilliant insight uh, into being and the soul's journey uh, towards the one, but not finding the, the name of Christ in there, not finding that uh, word became flesh. Uh, and so sometimes it really kind of maps that without the kind of great narrative dynamic of, of, of Augustine. And so uh, uh, what I had as, as a solution to the problem of Plotinus not having uh, Christ in his thought is, well, Augustine. Um, but I think what happens when you really delve into Augustine and to Christian thoughts uh, from a Neoplatonic perspective is you are inevitably pulled in new in new directions. Um, uh, you know, it's often a debate about the books of the Platonists and Augustine's kind of, oh, I found there that in, be- in the beginning was the word. Um, and is, is, is it just like Platonism with a little bit of Christianity washed over it? But I think the better reading is that uh, the finding of the word um, incarnate is transformative to his thought and uh, is part of what uh, has made for me a home in his thought. But my work, I mean, in many ways, if, if it's, it has a, its home in, uh, in engagement and dialogue with Augustine is itself also at the same time, hopefully in rich and helpful ways. Uh, <laughs> Um, scattered in lots of other places. I mean, I do a lot of work with uh, medieval thoughts, uh, Anselm, uh, working on this kind of obscure-ish medieval thinker, um, Johannes Arugina, an Irish philosopher from the 900s. Uh, but then also contemporary inquiry um, and, you know, broadly conceived uh, Augustinian political thought. Okay, good. Now, did you get to the books of Platonists to Plotinus before Augustine? Well, yeah. So I had read Augustine as an undergrad. Um, so I'm, yeah, exclusively the, the, the Confessions. And uh, I assume just the first, you know, eight or nine books of the Confessions. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I actually don't remember if we finished it when I was in, I was my first year of college. So, yeah, so I had read Augustine uh, and I remember I, I loved the, the book, but I had not, after that, I had not really uh, engaged with his thoughts subsequently. Um, uh, you know, some Aquinas, uh, existentialist thoughts, some phenomenology, but really had not uh, read Augustine since then. So that's when I, yeah, so I took this class on, on Plotinus with this great uh, professor and scholar, Eric Pearl. And uh, so I took his class on Plotinus, then his class on Plato. Um, and then I took a third class with him uh, uh, on Augustine. And so that was my first time, kind of my entree point to uh, to the actual study of Augustine um, and to texts beyond the Confessions. Um, and so in that sense, it wasn't like I had never read them before, but it was a kind of new uh, a new level of inquiry beyond a, a college freshman who was a little bit lost and didn't know very much. Yeah. 
Good. So you were at Loyola Marymount. Was that also in history or were you in philosophy? No, so that, that was a master's in philosophy. So partially that in some, I went to LMU for a few different reasons. Um, but part of it was because I was pivoting from my idea of getting a PhD in, in history, getting a PhD in philosophy, you know, I had to I'd increase my uh, philosophical acumen, uh, my credits uh, and things. And Loyal LMU is a, is a very good program and is known for being a good master's program for getting people uh, into PhDs. Um, and uh, that's in fact what happened. I went there, um, uh, learned a lot, deepened my sense of inquiry and knowledge, but then also got into Villanova. Good. And you did a PhD in philosophy at Villanova. Yeah, yeah. So I did a PhD in philosophy, but one of the things that is unique in Villanova's philosophy program, I think it's the only thing like this in the country, is they have each year one person gets what's called the philosophy theology track. Yeah. So I was in the, definitely in the philosophy department, but the philosophy theology track allowed me to take courses in the theology departments uh, if I was required to do so, um, and meant that my dissertation could kind of easily work uh, between the two uh, disciplines and really ultimately in an Augustinian sense because the two disciplines are a later distinction um, um so yeah so i was able to do that that philosophy theology track uh, and that's part of the reason why um you know the range of my inquiry and some of my writing is you know often what we call theology um as much as it would be philosophy so it's, it's unique uh a unique scholarship okay good and when you were at villanova who were you working with so my dissertation director was jim wetzel Okay, uh, that's why I figured if you're on that yeah. track. Yeah, the uh, August, the chair in Augustinian studies uh, as head of the Augustinian Institute. Uh, but I also had really some other great professors, uh, to be uh, William Desmond, who's a kind of, a, I guess you'd say, like a post-Hegelian Catholic philosopher. Um, uh, some good uh, uh, Heideggerian work and uh, with Walter Brogan and some excellent theology professors, Kevin Hughes and Rachel Smith. So those are what kind of great community uh, professors uh, who shaped me, but my my um, I guess they, I think they say in German my my doctor author uh, is Jim Wetzel. Yeah, great, great. I spoke to Jim last month uh, a little oh, bit great. about his work, and yeah, it felt intimidating um, <laughs> to do an Augustine podcast with the Augustine Chair of Augustine Studies at the Augustine Institute. But yes. thankfully, Jim's not too intimidating. He's uh he's very kind. Yes, yes, no, really definitely. intimidating, but. Personally, very kind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So you went from Villanova, um, you said to Penn for a postdoc? Yes, yeah, so I was at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, not the not the Litany Lions, uh, the Quakers. Uh, okay. The Ivy League that people forget is not a state school. And uh, yeah, so I was there for two years. Um, you know, postdoc that allowed me to do student mentoring, um, Organized these kind of fascinating reading groups for students. One of the books we read uh, was uh, Augustine's Confessions. We did manage to finish the whole thing in one Good. semester, so that was great. Um, also running fellowships like the Legal Humanities Fellowship um, and the Catholic Humanism Fellowship. So I did a number of things like that, but also had time to do writing and, and research, which was really Good. Was that time helpful to sort of narrow down or clarify this bundle of little interests? <laughs> I get possibly the answer might be no. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't tell me that because I'm hoping for something in the future that helps narrow down my bundle of okay, interest. Good. And I'll say yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, my interest is trying to understand the community of humanity uh, with God. Um, mm. And everything I do uh, intellectually and educationally is centered on that. How can I think through and serve, not just think through, but actually serve? Um, the Fellowship of Humanity, uh, and there that the Fellowship of Humanity that is that exists and can only deepen in the fellowship with God. So it's essentially kind of a communitarian theology, metaphysics, and politics all, all the way down. And so, yeah, that time period definitely allowed me to focus more on that. Um, you know, develop uh, some some you know kind of nascent articles uh, on Augustine, uh, but also allowed me to you know work on an article on Rojana, uh, uh, present a paper on uh, William Desmond. So, you know, there's, there's still kind of like, there's a lot of figures um, uh, that are popping around with. I also do a fair amount of uh, what academics call public-facing writing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, the point is like, how do we think about, about us, um, humanity as an actual us? Yeah, good. I want to 
hear a lot more about that, especially you sent over this paper, The Politics of Pairs, um, which I've got lots of questions about. I liked it. Uh, but before I get to what is an us, just going back to your time at Villanova, you had that unique position of theology and philosophy that's yeah, unique to Villanova. How have you sort of navigated those tensions? That's something I, I ask, especially people who do philosophy, but in this very Christian Augustinian stream, how do you, I mean, those distinctions don't exist in the world we inhabit. So how do you navigate yeah. them now? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, I, I I think in part, I mean, uh, you know, Augustine in, in the City of God, I think in Book Ten, but I'm I'm not good at remembering books. Um, you know, talks about you know what 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 philosophy is. You know, of course, philosophy is love of wisdom, love of truth, uh, and since God is wisdom, is truth. Uh, probably speaking, philosophy is the love of God. And but this would not be a popular definition in lots of uh, philosophy departments. But interesting, interesting, I think it actually. Fruitfully works in both ways. In one sense, it means that when I'm when I'm actively seeking to understand God in a kind of um, you know religious way or theological way, I'm doing philosophy. So that's true of you know the people at my parish. Many of them would not call themselves believers, uh, but are they're actually doing the work of philosophy in their in their devotional lives. And then uh, unexpectedly, you know, the, the atheist uh, philosopher who genuinely is trying to understand. Uh, is doing the work of loving God. Um, and so I think there's something kind of rich about possibly creating dialogue in that way, even though, of course, you know, the, the person in my parish might be like, I hate philosophy. <laughs> and the atheist uh, philosopher might be like, there is no God. And yet I think actually there's kind of philosophical overlap. As far mm -hmm. as, you know, that, what that means with the disciplines, um, I mean, I do think we can understand the disciplines, uh, the, the distinction between them is a real one. It's a distinction within a fundamental unity. Um, if you really love truth and realize who Christ is, you will really love Christ. If you really love Christ and realize uh, who Christ is, you really love truth. Uh, so it is ultimately a kind of unity of the two. Um, but we under, I, I think we can understand the distinction the way I often teach it very simplistically to my, my students um, before they ever meet me in the classroom. Uh, before they've ever ever heard anything about me, they can reason about me and think some things that are true. And that actually make the encounter with me plausible. Um, so they know that I'm human. Uh, they uh, they can anticipate from my name that I'm a man. They know that I'm a scholar. They know I teach, kind of do more things like that. Uh, and those are really helpful because if they don't know those things, then when they, when I arrive in the classroom, it'll be kind of an incoherent experience. Uh, but, but the other things they cannot know just by... Um, reason uh for instance they might not know that i like um uh, that i like drinking coffee out of a small cup uh, i don't like large glasses for coffee uh right so how do they know that well they see me doing it but i also tell them so i think it, it's some simplistic way this is like philosophy and theology what philosophy uh lovingly seeks to know by reason is about a person uh theology hears that person tell us things about uh th them and this happens when, you know, you, you look across the room at a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, depending on one situation, uh, and, you, um, and you say, wow, they're beautiful. And they look really interesting, too. Right? Well, that's, that's like philosophy. <laughs> uh, what's theology like? Uh, actually talking to the person and the person telling you something about themselves. And so, you know, we can think about God. We do think about God all the time. Um, and, uh, and we can say things that, that, that direct us towards him. Uh, and then uh, in the most shocking fashion of all, though, God set, tells us something about God. And so the first is philosophy, us thinking about God uh, in a loving way, trying to know something about him. And the second is theology, God telling us things about God. Um, and they're really complementary. They're about the same thing, God. <laughs> uh, and yet uh, we can understand them properly with a distinction uh, between the two. Yeah, I like that. I also like coffee out of small mugs. <laughs> yeah, it makes me very angry with uh, my AeroPress because there are a few small mugs that can fit an AeroPress on them. Um, but yeah, you're correct about that. I think about both things, but more importantly, small mugs. You're correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, someone has to hold civilization together. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's a that's a very helpful way of putting it. Um, yeah, I don't know that either philosophers or theologians would like that definition um, <laughs> or that way of thinking about it. I've I've been working out of a divinity department here at Aberdeen and constantly asking like what is 
what is theology? What are you doing? Um, and there's a very, I won't say there's no answer. It's a very difficult thing to answer. I think yeah. philosophy departments tend to to at least be quicker to answer what they're doing. Um, because theology, yeah, if it's the word of God or God speaking about itself, it's a very hard thing to say. I do that. Um, but clearly they're doing something with that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, a, 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 one of the main crises in, in theology departments, at least theology departments in, in religious schools. Uh, and so I'm trying to, you know, kind of split the difference. I mean, it's at Villanova, I think the full title is the Department of Theological uh, Theology and Religious Studies. Theology. Mm-hmm. So the, the, in some sense, kind of split the difference, but there there is yeah, tension of like, what are we doing? We're doing this. Religious studies is its own thing. It's really important. Uh, discipline uh, can really uh, help us understand um, the human project, uh, but uh, it's not the same thing as, as theology. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think answering that question is really important. And I think my sense, a lot of departments right now aren't able to do so. And the problem when you can't answer a question, it was okay. Obviously, we all there's all kinds of questions we all struggle to answer all the time. Um, but we cannot give uh, an answer. It makes it hard to convince people to participate in your discourse. I think that's mm-hmm. a, ch- a challenge for actually getting students to to study theology. Certainly at Villanova, I know that's a big issue. Um, you know, it, it's like in, uh, again, not, not good remembering books. It's either in First Peter or Second Peter, um, you know, the need to be able to give, um, you know, a reason for our hope. Uh, and um, uh, in that sense, the theology needs to find a way to give a reason for its hope, a reason for its like practice, its purpose. Uh, and I and I think I, you know, I'm, you know, ye olde timey on this, like uh, I, I'm not Thomas, but there's something like, what is the, what is it? The, it's the knowledge of God, Scientia. Uh, uh, and uh, that knowledge of God is the shared task of what we can understand about him and what he tells us about him. Um, and it's the highest science because God's the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that wonderful, if I ever teach a theology class, I don't, I don't know if students like musicals, they probably don't, but at the end of, uh, in Fiddler on the Roof, at the end of um, a wonderful song, If I Were a Rich Man, which is this kind of riotous, like, you know, celebration of life, even though he's like poor and doesn't have anything. Uh, and it goes to these things he would want, like a bigger house, the respect of people, being able to take care of his wife, uh, making sure his daughters have, a good marriage and uh but then, then he gets to the end it's a wonderful image of, of that he would he would be able he would have the time to sit in the synagogue by the, by the eastern wall uh seven hours every day that would be the sweetest thing of all and the song really ends in that kind of like really you know in the like sense of pathos like really pathetic moments like rich um the sweetest thing of all and um you know i think if theology is going to survive it has to you know reconnect to tevia's sense that this is the sweetest thing of all Hmm. Yeah, it's a very Augustinian thought in that, and that I'm sure a beggar could sit and pray by the the wall for seven hours a day. Yeah, would have nothing to do with being a rich man. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, hmm. Yeah. In my theological ethics course in undergrad, we watched Les Mis, so there's hope. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can show Fiddler. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Um, well, what are you doing now? You you have this new post. Um, do you know what you'll be doing? What what will the day to day look like at Villanova? Yeah, I mean, in some sense, there's kind of two um, general focuses for me right now. So on one side, it'll be the honors, helping the honors program develop its its core curriculum. So everyone at Villanova takes a, a core. The honors does does that core, but does it slightly differently. Uh, in fact, it does it in four different ways. So my job is to kind of help make that core coherent. Um, particularly, we have this track called the PPE track, uh, mm-hmm. philosophy, politics, economics, the way of fulfilling the core. And right now, it's kind of like it doesn't. It has three classes. that kind of sort of makes sense in sequence, but kind of sort of don't. Uh, and I think in execution, definitely don't. So my work is something that's helping shape those three semesters. Um, that, so one, I'll be teaching them, but also other professors will be teaching them. So that they, they can take that class and teach it in a coherent way over over three semesters. Um, and, you know, what I'll try to do with that is like, center it on. Uh, you know, it's the starting point would be from Augustinian questions. Students 
can arrive in the text to different places. You know, when we read, you know, Hobbes or uh, or Nietzsche uh, or you know John Rawls over the course of these three semesters, that might land them in not Augustinian places. But we'll start from an Augustinian place um, at least to set the terms of the questions and then hopefully give them a sense of what uh, an Augustinian answer will be. So beyond that, I mean, in general, helping with the, the different cohorts and then and then teaching those classes. So this upcoming semester, I have two sections of a class called The Good and one section of class uh, on justice. Um, so uh, I have to do a lot of prepping. I've never taught them before, so uh, yeah. a challenge wow. in some way, but exciting. And those are no small topics to jump into with no. little prep. <laughs> yeah, the good and justice. Yeah, no, no small thing. Uh, the only thing in some sense. Yeah, good. Personally, will you have much time to research and write, or is this? I, mean, I assume it's mostly teaching and organizing this thing. But yeah. So I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, I in one sense I don't know, and that's what I do. So the position is a, it's a teaching professor. Um, sometimes in other places it's called you know lecture position or mm -hmm. uh, professor of practice. Um, and so my uh, a, for promotion purposes and, and development, it will be uh, all about the teaching uh, and the service work. Um, so research won't play much of a part in, in that. So in that sense, the answer would be no. Yeah. Uh, as far as what will actually be the case, um, I, I don't know. But, I mean. Uh, my guess is this fall I'll probably do like basically no research. Just right, right. That's the way. It's, you know, your first semester, new prep, no. I don't have any any past notes to draw on to prepare for teaching. So I think it, things will just kind of come to a relative standstill for those few months. But my hope is that uh, in the midst of this, and my sense from some colleagues here, um, uh, for instance, another Augustine scholar here, Paul Camacho, is that you do ultimately get do have some time, and then. You just have to take advantage of it. Uh, mm. And then, of course, there's always, as academics say, the world over. There's always the summer. Uh, and every summer starts, you know, all these projects. Right. Summer, you're like, oh, I didn't know any of that. Uh, so, but there will be uh, summers. So I, my hope is to kind of continue uh, research and writing. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, I, um, it's about the teaching. Augustine, at the beginning of On Christian Teaching, has this wonderful question of like, well, why wouldn't God just teach us directly? Right? God is definitely a better teacher than us. And the point of what we're learning is God. So like why not why don't we cut out the middleman? Uh, particularly because the middleman, human teachers, um, uh, often are are not very good teachers. Sometimes are definitively like bad. Will, will mislead you. Uh, sometimes are immoral. Like just, you know we're kind of a mess. Um, and uh, and yet God says instead of direct teaching, He's going to have you know human mediation teaching. Uh, but his one wonderful answer is that if we didn't have the opportunity to teach each other, we couldn't uh, we couldn't love each other. Um, and uh, so in that sense, like, you know, teaching, I mean, I think of research and writing in some sense as, as a different form of teaching uh, to a reading public of some kind. Um, but, you know, it, in the classroom with students engaging with these texts and questions for the first time, you know, that's that's where the, the love of God actually hits the road. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Good. Good. Have you thought much about. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot with your, your teaching philosophy, but sort of the things you're trying to get across or what the shape of this honors core, sort of the, the telos of where it's going, those sorts of things. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, I think teaching is fair um, Augustinian slash platonic sense, the work of, of reminding, um, you know, students, you know, of course, they come from different personal backgrounds, uh, financial, cultural backgrounds. So this, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, paint this a huge, broad brush. Um, but I mean, students, you know, they, they uh, not, <laughs> nevertheless, I think I can commonly say of, of humans, students, humans are born out of a community, right? A man and a woman, um, whether that that loving encounter was loving or not. Right? Um, uh, they uh, have made it because they came out of some kind of community that provided sufficient care for them. They're now at Villanova itself, a community. And so sometimes what I hope in the course of these three semesters is um, you're, you're a part of a network of us's, um, a network of communities. And so reminding them of this. And I took okay, that now. If that's the case, you know, how do I want to think about uh, those communities? Um, what's the best you know model some kind of social contract it's kind of not it's a 
effectively a social technology we've come up with or something natural to us or you know uh, a divine gift of sociality and kind of doing the work of helping them think through that um you know the aim is you know i do there is, i mean i think it's a great tension in teaching particularly when you teach from a place of conviction in a university that at least in its mission statement claims conviction though it might not always live that out but it does claim conviction you know how do you teach students in an open way like a dialogical way a way that allows them to think on their own and uh, to arrive um at their own conclusions uh and yet also in a way that is like still grounded in those convictions because you know i mean it's not like i go in the past and being like i don't know what the truth is all kind of like, or some kind of like it's just about the questions and there are no answers uh which is the craziest idea i've heard, ever heard of um and uh so yeah it'd be interesting kind of getting more of a sense of how i balance that that working conviction because you know i mean you know when i teach them nietzsche or or hobbes you know i don't agree <laughs> uh and i don't and i also maybe in a more important sense many or most of my students are very grounded in a sense that what that there is no shared good um it philosophically i guess you might say Thus, there's barely any shared good politically. And so really what I just need to do is kind of get what I can out of my life um, in a nice way. Like people, students generally are very nice and tolerant in some sense. And so I want to, I do want them to kind of get beyond that. Yeah. Uh, to a sense that um, what love and justice requires of us uh, is the engagement with others. Um, and that ultimately means that there is uh, some kind of shared good politically and that some kind of shared good politically you know, uh, is made more rationally coherent by a shared good ethically and metaphysically, and I guess religiously. Yeah, say more about that, especially in relation to this politics of Paris paper on private and Eucharistic communities. Oh, you're, yeah. you're getting at there and in this conversation you're having with your students. Yeah, yeah. So the, um, I, I, I was lucky I, I was talking to a student at Penn about this paper and it had been accepted, but I was like, ah, I think I got to change the title. And like, no, wait, the politics of Paris. It's a, you know, what's that? What does that even mean? <laughs> uh, so I'm glad I stuck with the title. It's a nice little oration. But yeah, the, the, the piece is a reflection uh, on Augustine's account. He's, he's, a, he's a boy, teenager. He's running around with some other, uh, probably boys, but I guess it could have been girls too. Uh, they're running around and they see they're, they're well off, at least for that uh, context. You know, maybe we might say like middle to our middle class kids, and they see a pear tree. They all have pears at home. They have pear trees. They have nicer pears, but they steal the pears anyway. Uh, it's interesting that he, he makes one that they definitely took a bite of the pears, but they didn't really eat them, uh, which I think is kind of an interesting little note. And then they threw most of them away uh, and then kind of ran on their way. Uh, and he's perplexed. And people have been perplexed by this ever since. Um, and so my, my reflection, my essay is a reflection on that perplexity. And um, and then I guess in two sense, one, wanting to insist that we should allow it to remain perplexing um, and not try to resolve it, um, to always resolve it too neatly. Augustine at the end, after he's tried several times to figure out why did I steal these pairs? Uh, concludes, uh, this is a twisted and knotted mess. I just don't know. I will, I'm just going to turn away from this. I can't even think about it anymore. Um, so he doesn't resolve it. But also, I think, and if there's something, not, you know, I mean, academics hope, always hope we write something new and interesting. Uh, but if there's something new and interesting in the piece, it's that I, few or almost no people have looked at the, the communal dimension of the, the pair of theft. And often, actually, we don't even really think too much about we it's, you know, we read the confessions as or we tend to read the confessions as a story of an individual self, uh, you know, inventing the will and inventing the self in, in various accounts, uh, the individual self trying to find God and then the individual self finds God. And that's great. And that's not all. That's not wrong or he's not all wrong. But a lot of the confessions is actually a story of Augustine um, struggling with different communities. Um, mm -hmm often communities of vice, um, uh, struggling with his own family. You know, for a story that's supposed to be an autobiography, there's a ton of other people uh, popping up in it. Um, and, you know, as he travels through these different possible communities, ultimately what he finds, not just God, yes, certainly, 
but he finds community. He's baptized into a community. The first thing he does is like he leaves um, his kind of imperial career path community and goes to live with some other people and uh, to do philosophy. And then that doesn't work. So he goes back to North Africa. What does he do in North Africa? He finds a community. So what do we read the confessions as an account of community? Well, then Paulus of Paris is a great one to read because it's a bunch of kids. They mm-hmm. doing this bad thing. Um, and so looking at that, that, that what, what that community does um, is they seize what's not their own. Uh, they delight in seizing it. They feast on it. Uh, not the actual pair. They, they feast on the iniquity, uh, he insists. Um, and so that, that's a kind of microcosm of, of, the, of the earthly city, um, a community you know, centered on iniquity, centered on uh, the denial of actual fraternity, right, because you're stealing from another, um, mm-hmm. and kind of privating uh, the good. And so if that's what the, the parathies do, they also, curiously, they, they kind of act as a kind of counterfeit double of, of a good community. And counterfeits are helpful, right? So if, someone, if, if, if someone says, here is a counterfeit bill of a country whose money you've never seen, and they give it to me, that kind of a bill, even though it's a deceit, will help me know something about what the actual bill looks like. It, right. it, otherwise, it's like the word, it's like, you know, <laughs> not a good kind of it, right? So, uh, so sometimes the parathies, what do they do? They, they gather, they, they, they eat, uh, they delight in this eating. So there's a kind of uh, mockery of the liturgy. And so if we think about what they do, we can think about what, what does a Eucharistic community do? Um, well, it gathers to, to eat. Um, but it doesn't steal the food; it shares the food. It, um, it receives the food, um, and that—that's a very different image. Rather than taking something that is not mine and making it mine against the other, um, I receive what is ours and share it with you. Um, mm-hmm. And you know that if we think of those, you know, simplistically as two impossible images of what our community lives should look like, one is uh, about seizure, glory, and privatization. Um, the other is about uh, reception, uh, gift, and life in the in in community and sharing of the commons. And so I think that's actually part of what the Paris uh, story gives us is the chance to think about um, what community often looks like. You know, we often look at the pair of thieves. Um, Rome looks a lot like the pair of thieves, the Roman Empire. Um, but uh, but what we ought to look like is a Eucharistic community. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask, if I can ask a pointed question. Where does uh, where does the Eucharistic community come from? Like that that term or concept. Um, it it feels a little smuggled in. Like maybe I think it's I think it's there in the the parallels to so the parasitic theft. But I was just reading this a couple of days ago and I thought eh, it feels a little. A little sneaky to say our parallel or pairs or Eucharist. So where does that image come from or that concept? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, I, I mean, this is a question that some of the re, you know the reviewers uh, had and actually uh, changes and things. But yeah, I mean, it's not. I, my claim is not, and I cannot make a claim that in uh, in the book on the Parathies that Augustine says, um, and this is different than right, right. right going to mass <laughs> uh right uh if i if that if he said that right there then um then this essay would have been written by somebody else uh, long ago so but i think in, in, if we think about uh the parathies as a kind of via negativa um right um and sin if and particularly if sin is always a privation of a good um even though i argue like we have to think about that what that means and we sometimes uh do sort of delight in privating uh well if it's privation of the good, then, it, then we should be able to find some kind of good that it, it privates. Uh, mm-hmm. What would it mean to say, oh, well, I found a pri- pri- privative good, but I can't articulate the good that is privated. So I think it's just structural to any discussion, of any sin, that we should be able to say, ah, okay, well, here's the sin, sin A, um, and that must correspond to um, the, um, the, the, the inverted good version. Of it. So that just has to be the case, I think. Now, um, I also think the... The echoes, you know, the, the kind of connect, connecting pieces um, in the sense of like food that I sin that I eat that makes me like the sin. Right. When we when we sin, we become like the sin. Um, uh, and he's very clear that this is the kind of the eating 
of the sin, right? He, he says we eat the inequity, makes me sinful, right? So I become what I eat. Uh, has a real resonance uh, with later when he says that um, uh, when Jesus, well, Jesus says, "You come, come and eat me, um, uh, and you will become what you eat." Um, and uh, so, in that sense, the I think that that beyond like the, the kind of like it must be the case that with the privation we can explore what it privates and so what it actually what the good must look like. I think that there's a real echoing of the of the eating language. In his Eucharistic discourses and in the in the pair of theft. Um, so yeah, it is. I mean, I, the it's it's as as you might already know or you'll discover. There's all kinds of Augustine scholarship out there, yeah. uh, and you have like certain you know scholars who are like they're they're really often trained in patristics. Sometimes they're trained in history departments, um, and they're going to do like a really close uh, research. You're going to get like word searches and that's great. That's a certain kind of Augustinian study thing that occurs. Um, but, you know, I'm not a historian. I'm not a, a philologist. Um, I'm not that kind of uh, patristic scholar. Um, what I'm trying to do, in some sense, is a bit, I would, you know, uh, creative, um, yeah. but while also, like, doing good scholarship. Right? I don't, I, the point is not to, like, I'm going to use Augustine to say whatever I want. Like, that's bad scholarship, and I don't want to do bad scholarship. Um, but I'm not looking to do um the kind of close philological patristics works that some are though i and I, I benefit from those people um you know i think in some ways i think at Villanova, you know this is a very villanova point but like we have a theodic woman this guy jonathan yates you know he's going to do that kind of close um close work with, with the text and the, and the history you know and then uh someone like jim wetzel who's going to see like this is a, a teacher of wisdom and we need to, how can we kind of creatively uh, unpack that wisdom? Those are very different approaches. I think they're complementary, actually. Yes. Um, but they are different. And I'm I'm in the I'm in the Jim Wetzel camp, not the Jonathan Yates camp. Good. That's helpful. I mean, I think, yeah, you can, perhaps you have to limit your own scholarship. But I think you're right. They're complementary. Uh, yeah. I have a great respect for, for Jim. And his work has been very helpful for me. Uh, I'm also here working with with John Bear and Lewis Ayers, who are definitely the patristic types. Uh, yeah. So I'm, and I know the tension that that we inhabit, and I I think yeah. you're right. Both are very helpful. Both are very useful. Yeah. I mean, what's so great about the two of them? I mean, they. I mean, you, the, the the ideal, and I think you know, I think this is uh, well, the ideal in some sense is, is the bringing together, right? Yes. Uh, and. Um, uh, in that sense, I mean, for someone like me, like what I do is I learn from the kind of more uh, close um, historical research, um, but I, I, I haven't mastered it. Um, one, one can bring these two things together, you know, that, that's some kind of um, you know, greatness there. You know, John Dodaro, for instance, I think, in his work on Augustine and, uh, and um, Christ and Just City, yeah. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also, I'm, I'm not putting you in this camp. I'll put myself in this camp. I'm not going to do the the close patristics work in the same way that some of those people are. My Latin's not good enough. My Greek's not good enough. It might not ever get good enough. Um, but perhaps I can can offer something either in more constructive accounts or, especially in your position as a teacher, right? Your your time probably is not best served to sit and do close philological studies because yeah, your undergraduates probably yeah. don't care. No, no, and 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 in you know, a teaching position, I won't have the time, resources, or sabbaticals. You know, I think about um, Michael Lamb's newest book, uh, *Commonwealth mm-hmm. Pope*. Um, you know, I think something. I mean, such it's a very it's a very good book. Um, but I mean, he is when he's writing about it. Yeah, he's it's really good scholarship. He's looking at you know just really painstaking work, looking at sermons that people often ignore, uh, and letters, um, you know, letters about very particular situations in North Africa. But he's he sees this as a chance to help shed light on on contemporary political thought. Yeah. And, you know, that's a way of doing scholarship that, you know, will, will be accused by some uh, maybe of being, you know, anachronistic or something like that. But uh, or, and like like with mine, like, you know, you know, I mean, thinking about Eucharistic community in the context of contemporary social political questions. But, you know, that's a way of thinking, like, how do we bring to bear on the, the common human plight? on our current political situation, 
the wisdom of this past thinker. Um, and yeah, you've got, you'll have problems with anachronism. Um, uh, you'd be careful of, um, you know, using like, almost ventriloquizing. We're like, oh, Augustine conveniently says X. That happens to be what I think. Um, and yet, like putting that in, into dialogue to help clarify our personal situations and our political communal situations is, I think, really essential. Yeah, yeah that's right. And in this essay, I mean, you said it. It's not like you say Augustine makes this clear distinction, but you are offering a unique read of this privative account. Um, as a political starting point, that's really helpful. You you mentioned the confession is not often read as a political text. Um, and that's right. What do you make of sort of his return to to the monastery? Because um, yeah, in the confessions, I see a lot of primitive accounts of community, right? Even up until these these philosophical communities um, after his conversion. But we never we never get a, a strong constructive account of his life in a monastery or his life as a bishop. Do you think do you think he finds community or um, do you think he's still sort of wandering around after conversion, after joining the monastery and founding a community? Yeah, um, it is. I mean, part of what's so fascinating about the questions is we don't get like. Um, you know what we might expect which is like a clear like here and now this, here's the payoff like now i'm a, a holy christian uh, and, and i'm gonna talk to you about my time as a priest like he just we got to you know, to lege uh then some indication of like ah, oh, i went to spend some time in this nice house and i quit my career which is very important uh thing he does um uh but yeah we don't get we don't get the augustine the early monk and priest and bishop uh, so he ends the quote-unquote autobiography there my sense, I mean, it, I, 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 I don't know exactly why he does that. I think in one sense, he wants to avoid a kind of vision where, like, you get baptized and um, you're super holy. In fact, he does mm-hmm. do that. He talks about like, right. I still struggle with, like, pride, ambition, uh, distraction, lust, uh, not, not so much gluttony, but like, I still like eating food. It's a little bit of like, all right, chill out, Augustine. It's okay. The bread tastes good. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, the, 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 the kind of a vision of conversion as like immediate sanctification. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, Augustine, his whole life is um, looking for friends. Um, uh, he's not very good at it at times, but but you know he is. I mean, like think of like um, Olympias. I mean, they are friends their whole life. Yeah. Really. I mean, like he's you know writing to him and working with him until he's an old man um and so I, he he forms these friendships you know some of them uh, and we don't quite know why some grow apart obviously some die uh, uh in the end. um but um but yeah so then I, as far as the monastery i mean i think yeah when he gets to north africa very importantly i think he goes back to north africa he, he abandons the path of roman ambition to return to you know, something like somebody moving from Washington, D.C. to, you know, Iowa. Like, yeah, lots of grain coming out of Iowa. Like, and we're very grateful for that. And maybe prosperity from that grain. But, like, it's it's corn country, you know. Uh, and that's what North Africa is. It's corn country, as it were. Um, but, yeah, what does he do there? He, he very much does not. He doesn't live Christian life alone. Um, mm. And um, I, my sense, you know, I don't, I think... And he proceeds to write a ton of letters. Uh, he's constantly preaching, constantly engaged in his community, and then living in this monastery. And I think that's that's Augustine. That's the Augustine of community. That's Augustine of service. It doesn't. It's not always easy. Um, he has these two sermons. I think sermons 355 and 356. I think are the numbers, but really interesting. There's basically a scandal in the monastery when the monks has, has been kind of uh apparently keeping money uh or property on the side and so he does this kind of very public accounting it's a, mm-hmm. I, it's a, it's a sermon that i wish contemporary bishops uh would read because it's like okay when you have a scandal talk about it publicly <laughs> and, uh, yeah. don't try to cover cover it up um and uh and i think it's so it, but part of the, the point is like it, it's not easy like living with monks is not easy living with uh wife and children is not easy there's no easy uh way in this life uh, there's always anxiety, pain, and stress. Uh, and yet, for Augustine, you can't you can't do it alone. Um, and 
and that's that's Augustinian monasticism. It's this deep sense that we come together to live in one heart and one mind on the way into God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm myself just trying to work through my thesis is on sort of somewhere between these these two papers of God and the soul and politics of of selfhood and identity in politics. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of uh, not unsatisfied. Like, I think it's a very good thing that it's left out, but there's not a very good conclusion to what is good community on earth. Um, there's messy community, there's, there's you know, the mixed church and there's the Catholic church, um, but there's not a clear account answering the questions. I think that would be very helpful to us of just, oh, how do I define myself now in relation to the church? or in relation to God and not the church, or yeah, is it a Eucharistic community or is it a, a suspended community until the eschaton? Is it a community that engages with Rome? Um, yeah, those sorts of questions, but I found both of these works really helpful uh, and stimulating. So thank you for your work. Keep keep writing right. something amongst your teaching. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's that is the hope and the plan. Uh, I, uh, working on a uh, a piece for Oxford Bishop Conference on um, tolerance and conversion in community, uh, what it means to love our enemies. Uh, hopefully that uh, comes together. Um, I've got a essay in a book that might get published. We'll see. Uh, uh, but we just got a good sign on that front that uh, the publisher is interested. In. It's actually on, on Augustine's rule, which I think is a really tremendous and beautiful uh, text um, yeah. that is underappreciated in um uh augustinian political thought um like he actually does write a text saying this is what at least this is what our community should look like and how it should act um and so okay that's a, that's one place to look and then and then the, then the next question is can that specific political community like the, the monastery shed light on how other communities should be in act right we're not most of us are not um, celibates uh, monks living only with men or celibate nuns living only with women. Um, right. But is there something in reading this text that can give us a sense? Of, oh, actually, but this is what uh, um, a family should look like, a city should look like, um, a university. Right? And uh, I think that you that you can that you can say, OK, this is an ideal community. And the ideal community uh, as a part of the broader community gives us an image for how to how to do this to this life. So it's. But well, essay is written, and hopefully the collection uh, is uh, accepted. So, so there's still the work uh, coming down the pike uh, for me on Augustine, and uh, my sense is, you know, it'll be, you know, teaching will take a lot of my time, which is good. Um, but at the same time, like I'm at like a pretty golden place for um, just talking and thinking about Augustine. Absolutely. Is uh, I'm tricky. I think with you know in the past. Five years hiring Veronica, hiring Paul Camacho, this guy Ian Clausen. Um, you know, we've got um, a growing kind of core of Augustine scholars, young uh, or youngish in my case. <laughs> um, and I think that those will be fruitful for me to think and uh, hopefully, you know, continue to make Villanova a center, if not in the long run, the center of uh, Augustinian studies. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it it will be. It has been. Uh... I'm looking forward to what continues to come out of there. Hopefully I'll I'll find my way over to Villanova at some point or another. I'm sure I will if I stick in this long enough. Yeah. Well, you definitely, I mean, obviously you're, you're far <laughs> in San Andreas. Um, you know, this Trisic uh, Needle Renaissance Conference every year. That's a great place for um, Augustine Scholarship. I know I think next summer we're having our, Re our Reconsiderations Conference, um, which is every I don't know, every few years, it doesn't yeah. I get confused. Um, so, and then, uh, yeah, when you're thinking of the job market there, you know, there are definitely are teaching positions that will be opening up next year at Villanova uh, to, to, to consider, so. Great. Great. Well, let's end with this. Um, if you could recommend other work going on on Augustine right now, um, we'll, we'll count out Veronica since we've mentioned her work a couple times, but and Michael Lamps, none of that. I've had them both on, so there's there's yeah. no point in interrupting yeah. their work again. What would what would you recommend? What do you see that's that's been novel or 
is useful in these days. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, I think um, this, uh, I, I often mispronounce his last name, but uh, Father Augustine Reisenauer, I think is how you say his last name. He's a Dominican friar in the East Coast province. Uh, just to, did a, his PhD in theology at Notre Dame. Uh, so he has a book out on uh, resurrected body, uh, in, you know, centered on Christ's resurrected body, but then reflecting on um, what that means. And he's also doing some interesting work thinking about what the ascension means, the ascension of Christ's body and the extension of the church and then the ascension of our bodies. So I think he's, um, you know, really interesting, in, you know, really centering that theological question of the yeah. resurrection. Um, obviously, he, I mean, uh, you know, he's great. Uh, his great commitment to Augustine. That's Augustine is his religious name, so we took that out of devotion to the Holy Father Augustine. So I think he's something that's really interesting. I'm very excited. I have his, his book. I'll be reading it this summer, although it's midway through summer, so hurry up. Um, There's always the but, summer. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think that's that's someone uh, to, to keep your eye out on. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've already said Veronica and uh, and, and Michael, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, Father Augustine. Great. Thank you. I appreciate you taking some time to chat and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Okay. All right. God bless. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Terrence Sweeney. If you liked hearing about his work and want to read more, go check out those two essays that we've been talking about, God and the Soul, Augustine on the Conditions of the Journey to Selfhood, and The Politics of Paris, Augustine on the Ethics of Privative versus Eucharistic Communities. Both are published in the Haythrop Journal. Also, check out Dr. Sweeney's book recommendation, that's Augustine's Theology of the Resurrection by Augustine M. Reisenauer. I'll put a link there in the description. Our theme music is Oh Great Light by Jess Ray. And as always, I'm your host, Joshua Blanchard. Thanks for listening.